This is a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. I'm your host, Toby Passman. Uh, For the first intro segment, it is the real quote of the day. This is coming from one of my favorite artists, Childish Gambino, off of his uh, 2014 uh, mixtape, Kawaii. Uh, And specifically the song Late Night in Kawaii featuring uh, Jaden Smith along with a a guy he just calls Fam, who I believe is a a friend of his. Um, So the quote is, it's all about packaging, right? Real shit, though. Good and bad is all relative, man. It really is. A lot of people are sheep. We don't even know what we like anymore. We just know what the most hype is. Shit, do you really like that shit you like? Or do you like the way they gave it to you? You know what I'm saying? Pepsi, Coca-Cola, same thing. David Chappelle said that the one that tastes the best was the one that was paying him the most at the time. So uh, we'll get into that lyric in a minute, but uh, well, actually I'll, I'll speak a little bit on it, just uh, my first impressions, what I got, you know, right off the bat, you know, as far as, you know, it's about packaging. I mean, that, you know, obviously ties into kind of the way we we market ourselves the way uh marketing works but you know it's all about in the delivery of of something you know there could be something uh you know that's of comparable two products that are of comparable quality but you're gonna buy the one that was packaged the best and i'm not talking about how it was just put in a in a cardboard box but the packaging the 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 brand behind it you know and nowadays we're we're getting into an era where we all have you know personal brands you know we we are all uh you know brands because you know instagram twitter social media you know has basically given given us the platform to to you know broadcast uh, broadcast ourselves to the world and you know that that kind of gives us that responsibility um and privilege to you know be a brand but anyway, back to back to the the lyric. Um, going through this, you know, I was talking about you know a lot of people are sheep. You know we don't even know what we like anymore. And I think this is, you know, kind of tends to be this is this is a theme that I've been thinking of. You know, kind of a lot recently, which is, you know, how a lot of people don't tend to really think for themselves. We tend to just kind of follow what we see other people are doing, what other people say are cool. You know, we follow that, uh, not based on anything about how we're perceiving something, but it's because we place some, you know, some amount of trust in, you know, another person's opinion or or just other people's opinion, you know, the masses opinion in general. And, and we choose to follow it without and, and it maybe never gives us even, even uh, an opportunity to have to think for ourselves. But I think this is, you know, bringing up some, some good points about that. Uh, <clears throat> Pepsi, Coca-Cola, same thing. David Chappelle said that the one that tasted the best was the one that was paying him the most at the time. So this was uh, this was actually in reference to you know a David Chappelle joke that he made. Um, I believe the the Pepsi, Coca-Cola's thing was you know probably most people know that the ingredients you know are, are the exact same in the two soft drinks yet. There's been a various uh, various number of psych tests that have basically, you know, seen that people have a preference for one or one or the other, Coke or Pepsi, and even when it's you know double blinded, and they don't know which they're getting, they still think that the one they like is 
Coke or Pepsi, you know, respectively. But, you know, it, uh, it has a lot, you know, they aren't able to actually uh, tell which one is which. It's, you know, basically the point of those studies is they're showing that, you know, it's the way that Pepsi or Coke personally brands, you know, how they brand themselves, how they attract the consumer. And in our brains, we actually link that to thinking that we like the taste of the product better, better, even though it's actually, we like the way that Pepsi or Coca-Cola is giving us the product. So there's some interesting stuff, a lot, a lot we could dissect and will dissect in this podcast, which um, we're going to be talking a lot today about the internet. Um, this, uh, you know, this is something the internet is, has changed a lot with and something a lot of other Childish Gambino songs talk a lot about. Actually, the, the title of the podcast, Roscoe's Wetsuit, is based off a Childish Gambino lyric, which I won't get into right now. But what I will get into right now is introducing uh, my guest today is my good friend and uh, former roommate, uh, Alex Eldemir. Probably can attest uh, one of the one of the best roommates he's ever had. Never never any problem doing the dishes. None of that stuff, right? Just no. Perfect. No. Okay. Okay. Thanks. All right. Um, but uh, yeah, Alex is a super interesting guy. We originally met. I believe it was it was uh, was it Jesse or Brandon who originally it was Jesse. We we sat down, we had lunch, and uh, you know we ended up rooming together the next year. And I think you know even I remember that first day. You know when I was I sort of helped you move in. I remember like it it sort of felt like right off the bat we kind of just you know had a connection. Like we just kind of vibed. You know. Our conversations were fluid. It wasn't like a forced effort to like talk to one another. And, you know, we have, have a lot of the kind of same interest in in shows and, and music and, and stuff to talk about. So I think this is going to make for a really interesting show. Um, <clears throat> Alex? Alex was a, a computer science and math major at the University of Oregon. And so I think he has a lot of uh, I mean, he actually studied, you know, kind of the, the the basis of, you know, one of the topics we'll be heavily discussing today, you know, and computer science is obviously, you know, kind of the backbone of, you know, the internet revolution and has created all of these kind of cultural changes that we're now kind of adapting to. So I think, uh, I think Alex has a really interesting perspective, which we'll, we'll get into a lot on the show. So, Alex, welcome. It's an honor to have you as a guest. Great to be here, Toby. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, you know, what uh, we were talking and, you know, one of the things you had mentioned was you were talking about you're going to be giving up your, your smartphone, huh? Yeah, I am. And if I could just comment on um, packaging and how we're delivered stuff. Okay. I was at a tech conference recently and the one of the leaders developers of tor she um tor is a web browser that's completely anonymous so basically your comcast can't see what you're doing on it um bad actors can't quite see what you're doing on it and she was giving examples as to why 
you would want this level of privacy. Um, and she gave the example of airline tickets. Airlines can actually track through your browser what you're willing to pay for a ticket. Mm -hmm. So they don't give you what the actual cost of the ticket is. They'll give you what they know you're willing to pay based on what they know about you from your browsing habits, from previous travel, from all these different sources. So if you use this private browser, I'm not, I don't work for Tor or anything, but this is just what she was presenting. She said, you'll find airline tickets, for example, are far cheaper because they know nothing about you. So they give you the actual prices of airline tickets. Um, and um, part of the way they track you is your smartphone, but it's not very important how they do it. There's a lot of ways to do it. Um, and uh, I'm giving up my smartphone for a month. Uh, let me, before you actually explain that and, and what has brought about that, you yeah. know, idea for, for that change, I want to just say like, I mean, that, you know, sounds, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds kind of similar to, you know, uh, what people have noticed, you know, in the past with, you know, something like, uh, you know, with Amazon where, you know, we may, you know, be browsing on the internet and, you know, we're trying to find a specific product and say so we don't end up buying it. And then, you know, a few days later, we're just on a random website. It's not, we're not on Amazon. We're on a random website that has ads and there'll be an Amazon ad that'll pop up with, with that product. So it's, that, that seemed like kind of the early, maybe, you know, maybe this is kind of a progression. Do you think of that kind of way of marketing? Yeah, and they also, as more people use these devices and, you know, browse the internet, they get more information. They learn more about you, the more you use it. Um, they can even create profiles of people who aren't online, just through the people in their contacts or people around them. It's, it's really interesting how aggressive these marketing tactics are. It's what partially what makes... Amazon so affordable. It's like mm. a pretty incredible product they offer. They can deliver anything to your door in two days. But it's, cra to it's crazy to think about that, right? Like yeah. you're anywhere, and it's just crazy to think like they have all these products in some warehouse. And I can't even imagine how big that warehouse. I mean, multiple where you know wherever whatever city you're in, there's some huge warehouse that has like literally. You think of the diverse thing that you know. I think, and all that, all that goes to just say, you know, yeah, Amazon has become over, I feel like a relatively short period of time, right? You know, it's become quite a, a giant. I mean, I remember, and this is probably going to make me sound old, but I remember back when like eBay was kind of like the top dog and it was like Amazon was like, oh, you're going to get something from Amazon. Like that seems like that kind of like weird sort of small like book website. And it's like, think about that. And maybe that was what, like you think 10 10 years ago or something? Yeah. And then just since then, I mean, anything. You want potato chips to your door. You know, you got it, right? Just think, like, in the past, people, like, died to, you know, transport food back to, you know, exotic fruit or salt or wherever back to their home countries. And now you get anything you want in the world in two days with no risk to yourself or the person delivering it. It's mm -hmm. it's really like an incredible thing over the last you know just hundred years. Right, it is incredible, and that that's one of the things you know about the you know 
the internet and I'm sure we're going to be touching on a lot of the negative aspects of that, but you're absolutely right that that's one of the, one of the things, I mean, we have instant access to all of this stuff and, but at the same time, you know, whether that's what a good or bad thing I think is, is up for debate. It, it, it sort of reminds me of, uh, you know, how today, you know, a lot of, you know, very poor or homeless people are actually obese, which is really weird to think about, right? Because, you know, usually not having enough money that had always meant, you know, not having enough to buy food. So you would expect, you know, you're skinny, you're starving, like, you know, the kids in Africa, we see, you know, we'll see in the the, the news or the media or whatever. But what's crazy, it's like, food is not an issue. Like, like, if you're homeless, you're not worried about starving to death. Like, because you could easily, you know, scramble up the change to get, you know, whatever from the, you know, the dollar menu at McDonald's and, you know, not to put uh, McDonald's on blast, but like with any kind of, you know, fast food nowadays, you can get a high, you know, a, a lot of very cheap, poor quality food. And, you know, so it's like relating that back to the internet, it's like in Amazon, it's like sort of that the the food uh, you know the the low cost of poor food is like you know it's a good thing that people aren't starving but at the same time it it can create you know problems of its own right like yeah, you know right. all, the, all the health challenges the diabetes you know we're seeing obesity uh that we're seeing in today's uh you know today's society we also have more temptation in today's society like, I don't know if you've ever seen how Safeway is laid out. They put all the junk food or the food that you probably shouldn't get, but it's really hard to say no to. You have to walk through it to get to the vegetable aisles on the end. You have to walk by it. And I think, like, never, like it's never been like this, where you've had this massive amount of temptation all around you, and you have to actually say no to things as opposed to going and getting things. Yeah. You don't, you know, That's... it's like that, like, it, it's like it's hard to you know not not get that soda with your meal because it's so yeah. and it tastes good yeah absolutely you, you bring up a good point that yeah it's like now you know uh i mean for example like going uh you know it used to if you wanted whatever some some jacket you know first you would have had to have the original idea or, or have it prompted in some way like you know, I want to go buy a, a jacket or whatever, then you'd have to make the travel out to a store, you know, go into the store, find where the jacket actually is. And it's like, a lot, you know, nowadays, you may not even have the idea that you think you want a jacket. You could literally just be mindlessly watching TV. You could be watching a sports game and just be, you know, it, say it's a commercial break and you're just on your phone, not even listening to the TV, but then it something for whatever reason catches you you know your attention you hear it and you're like i need this new jacket you don't have to leave your house you can literally with a few clicks go and buy that jacket yeah amazon has one click order like you just yeah buy. yeah there it's crazy i also don't know advertising is so targeted now if if for whatever reason your search history whatever you've done if marketers know you're interested in jacket, they'll start targeting you for, you know, with offers and deals as opposed to back when everyone kind of watched the same 
five stations, you know, they had to cast a wider net. It wasn't quite as um, aggressively pursuing just each individual target. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And oftentimes I think that is able to kind of go on without any, you know, pushback, right? I mean, for a lot of things that were, you know, things that were getting sold that are pretty, you know, relatively harmless, there's not really much interference. But, you know, I think of like, I think maybe the first really big good example of, you know, when when marketing did kind of go a bit too far, at least uh, kind of online and, uh, you know, internet marketing, social media marketing, you know, how a lot of the, you know, big tobacco companies, you know, got sued because they were specifically marketing towards kids. And, and actually, um, that's something now I was just reading uh, I think earlier today, actually, um, there's about to be a big round of lawsuits against the companies, uh, the pharmaceutical companies that make like Oxycontin and some of the other narcotic painkillers involved in the opiate crisis. Cause it's like, you know, they were, they were unfairly kind of, you know, deliberately marketing their product for, for stuff that it wasn't supposed to be used for. Um, and, and the, the internet, social media i mean gives it such a wider scope to be able to hit you know a lot of people that you know may not need severe you know painkillers but then suddenly they see you know they see it on tv and it's like you know some of course you know some attractive individual you know right with all those drug ads you know it's always like someone who's definitely not taking that drug because they'd probably look really like sick and stuff you know it's like or fucked up but it's like you know, someone we, you know, portraying this ideal life, and it's like the drug has allowed them to to live that or whatever. And yeah, it's like when when Facebook, like, or whatever, so any social media company, when you log on, you agree that you know they can use your data and sell it to advertisers. But the fact that we don't even know, like, I don't know the answer to this question. Like, can they sell data? of minors like if a 16 year old is browsing facebook what does their personal data where does it go what happens are they protected are they mm. are they um, targeted and, by, you know and then also even not yeah. by anyone not having protect potentially the full like you know ability to defend themselves in a certain way against you know perhaps predatory advertising right and i mean i'm i don't know the answer to that I guess yep. if you're if you're listening and, and you do, you know, comment, you know, wherever this is posted on YouTube or whatever. But I mean, my guess would be probably there isn't a ton of like censoring, you know, by age because it's like, you know, you think about how easy it is for, you know, a, a 13 year old to go online now and, you know, get very easy access, even if they're not trying to get to like a pornographic site, mm -hmm. there's just going to be like an ad that's going to pop up if they're trying to like you know, find some TV show, you know, some kids TV right. show. They're trying, like, like you don't, and it goes back to the point where we're talking about, you don't actually have to actively seek out any of this stuff anymore. It's literally just being shoved right in our faces. And I don't think there is that, you know, that there isn't much protection. I don't think anymore for, you know, who goes on the internet. And you could make the argument that it's, you know, the parents or the household, but as this tech becomes more and more ubiquitous, it you know and you know parents don't necessarily even know that this stuff is happening also mm -hmm. i don't want to tell them how a parent their child 
But if you're not even aware that, you know, how this stuff works or how these sorts of things can really damage a young person, like, it's not just your fault. Like, you're just not aware of it. Right. Right. Like, yeah, not your fault. Like yeah. The next generation you know, is, has, you know, more understanding of how aggressive this sort of stuff is so they can do a better job. Mm -hmm. um, shielding you know, young people and showing them how to use this sort of technology. In right. And I, yeah. No, and I think that's, that's really the first step is to become aware that it's going on. Cause it's like, if you, even if like our brains are, are high, are kind of hardwired, you know, from a kind of neuroscience perspective to, to, you know, have a drive and desire for certain things. So when we see that, <clears throat> that ad that, that captivates us on TV, you know, the non-aware thing would be to just mindlessly go, you know, buy the Carl's Jr. burger because there's the the newest, like, you know, Sports Illustrated swimsuit model, you yeah. know, taking a bite out of the burger. But, you know, if we're aware that that's the, you know, the way our brain is basically working to, you know, and how the, we're, we're aware that the marketers are trying to tap into that part of the brain, you know, I think we're less you know, susceptible to that sort of, you know, I guess, uh, you know, getting, getting, uh, sold something kind of without our, our permission or without, without our awareness, really. I yeah. think that's a big, big key. Yeah. The, the human, humans are like, you know, we work a very specific way. So there are ways to hijack how we operate. Like we're very visual creatures. So strong visuals tend to be very, um, powerful in terms of convincing us to do things. And I mean, nowadays it's so easy to fake visuals or misrepresent them um, with, and like, I don't know if you've seen the deep fake videos where they'll like change the face of an actor to another actor. Mm. So they'll look like they're saying something they're not. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So like, that's super interesting. So you can like literally put words in someone's mouth without, hmm. you know, too much effort. So it becomes also a very tough world to operate in where you can't trust what you're seeing. Um, right. I don't really see how we're going to get away, how we're going to get around that when these sorts of, when we can't even trust video or we can't even trust our eyes. Um, you know, as a visual creature, it's hard to operate in a world where you can't trust what you see. Right. Yeah, where you have to constantly kind of be vigilant, protecting yourself from all of these, you know, def like all these kind of media infiltrations. And it's it's not just marketing. It's it's like, well, for a lot of it, I guess it is. But there's all of these things that are kind of sucking at our attention. Attention. Um, right? Yeah. And it's like, we're in charge of, you know, we all have 24 hours in a day. Last time I checked. You know, and people like, you know, people we look up to, you know, um, Elon Musk, you know, someone like that. He's got the same amount of time in the day that, you know, the guy who's eating Cheetos and, you know, playing Minecraft all day, you know, on the couch. They both have the same number of hours. Like, it's all about how you, you know, divvy up your time and how you actually, a lot of it is being able to, a lot of attention is actually being able to selectively tune out things that are not worth our attention because when we think about it 
there are like a million, I, I think there's a number somewhere out there, but there's like a million billion bits of information coming that, that I'm, that me and you are, and all of our listeners are kind of processing, you know, each second, you know, where, you know, I could, I could, uh, talk about, you know, this yellow bowl that I'm seeing in the distance. And if, if I was that distracted by the yellow bowl, if, if I was actually holding that in my awareness, Mm-hmm. along with all of the other stuff in my environment and all of the sounds and all of the, the smells like it would be impossible <clears throat> impossible for me to have a conversation because in order to have a conversation that's really and have you know an attention span is basically being able to tune out most almost everything in your external environment except for you know kind of that lasering in on what you do want to focus on right and like I'm tuning stuff out like is a huge part of being creative and there is nothing greater as a human than being creative like creating something out of nothing and when you have all that noise around you it can be very hard to just you know come up with your own thoughts and get to know yourself and you know get to know how you know you think and what you feel and these sorts of things you're constantly being told these things um, and sometimes you just need to really get away from it all. And right. And I, I think that's, that's the perfect segue into talking about something we teased, you know, right at the start, which is, you know, how you're going to be giving up your, your smartphone. So tell me a little about like how that idea got started, why you felt like there was a need to do this. And then, you know, what you think that's actually going to look like. Well, it started with, I started noticing I'd get some anxiety when I was away from my phone for too long. And it's not necessarily a good feeling once you're aware of it. You know, what? You know, where's my phone? Where's it? And always, like, always having a piece of my brain being distracted and, or occupied with the phone or the smartphone, I should say, rather. Um, I, don't, I don't think, I mean, maybe you can disagree with me, but I don't think, like, a, a phone that just is talking text is necessarily the same level of distraction because you can, it doesn't quite have as many uh, inputs and as much, you can't just pick it up and start browsing. And so that was the first, that anxiety of being away from my phone was a feeling I was not comfortable with. And the um, anxiety, and like, I don't know, I've, I've mentioned this to you before, I like to write and I find it's very hard to come up with new and good ideas when you're so absorbed with what's going on your phone, you're not actually looking at the world and taking in what's happening around you. You're merely just responding to images or news or whatever the phone is servicing. That's kind of where I started. And I'm not sure how, I'm just, it'll be interesting. I, you know, we go our whole, not our whole lives, but we've gone ever since the iPhone came out, most people, I've been engaging with it on a daily basis for that entire period. And we're not really sure how that affects our, you know, our psyche. Um, I suspect it's not super healthy, which is probably why yoga, meditation, these sorts of things become more popular because it's an opportunity to not worry about your phone, to not working out too. That's another example. You know, you can just go to the gym and not worry about your Facebook or your Instagram or your Snapchat. You can just, be with yourself. And I think you're bringing up an issue. It's it's not a new problem. It's like people, mm-hmm. there's a reason that 
you know, people, you know, especially in the United States now are, are there's a huge wave of this, you know, yoga and meditation, you know, where I, I feel like, you know, people are getting super interested in these things because they do see it as like an outlet to escape that constant kind of digital media overload that, that we all face. And, you know, so, so, you know, with your experience, you know, what, what kind of things like have you found, you know, you, you talked about, you know, you like to write and, you know, maybe, maybe talk a little about like, you know, maybe what activities or, you know, whether it's working out or, or, you know, what it is for you that sort of gets you in that right headspace where you're getting all of the, the, you know, the good ideas and, and really coming up with all of the, the new material that, that, you know, you want to write about. I mean, a lot of it is really just being alone with myself, really alone with myself. And that's hard to do with the smartphone. Um, and I think looking for humor in the boring is also a great, you know, way to be creative, you know, whether it be going to the grocery store, you know, standing in line at DMV, there's stuff going on if you're perceptive, but if you're just engaging with your phone, you're not getting any new input. You're just, you're just looking at your screen, you're not taking in how the world as it is. And I think a lot of creative writing is an expression of everyday life packaged in a story or entertaining way. Um, I think that's like a big part of the writer's process, which is just to get out there and see the world as it is and not be distracted mm -hmm. by um, the phone. And it's it's interesting, right? Where it's like the phenomena of kind of you know, and I, I'm I'm a writer too, and you know, facing something like writer's block. I don't know if you have the same experience, but it's like for me, it's oftentimes when I'm like forcing myself to like, okay, I got to come up with this idea, I got to come up with what the next paragraph is going to be about. Whereas when I'm writing my best material, it's just flowing, like it's all, it's like literally just flowing from my head to my you know to my fingers and i think a lot of that is sort of it's it's material i'm pulling from various areas of my brain but it's it's material that's been kind of thought about hashed over during times where i'm not looking at my phone not directly you know doing something out there in the world right yeah like um, i like to say um start small think big so to package big ideas into little little sentences or just little blurbs, and then to grow them as the ideas come to you. But mm. I think that's a big part of it. And sometimes starting small means starting with something, a boring kind of premise, and then moving on from that. Um, mm. But I, I also, another reason I, I want to do this smartphone experiment is I worry that we're entering a world where you have to have a smartphone. I wonder if we've hit that point where you can't operate in today's modern world without one. Um, mm. I don't know if we've hit that point, but I think we're getting close. And I don't know if that's necessarily the world we want to live in. Where you or if you don't have a smartphone, you really are truly restricted from participating in society. I mean, I would say uh, my thoughts are you could survive that way. I mean, there's plenty of people who you know the extreme case being monks who are still living you know very you know non-technology filled lives um 
and often what's kind of ironic is, you know, oftentimes those are like the happiest people in the world, people who we bring in to do brain scans on, um, not me in particular, but, you know, university, uh, university researchers where they're looking at, okay, like, uh, you know, what, what is this person's brain doing? Why are, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, they're talking about all of these incredible experiences and feeling so happy and being able to appreciate like just those day-to-day mundane, like they're not, they're not going skydiving. They're not like, you know, like doing all of this like crazy stuff, but they're like finding like the happiness, like in the little things, make, maybe just taking, taking a walk, taking, you know, looking at nature, you know, I would, I would maybe guess, but, um, one of the things, you know, I think about, uh, you know, uh, I think it can, it can dramatically change our brain is I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say. And it was actually the kind of who the, the news media has coined the world's happiest man. I don't know if you, did you hear anything? Maybe we talked about this before. Is this dude, uh, he's a, he's a French scientist turned monk. So he actually wasn't like this his whole life but it's this dude yeah yeah i mean this this dude did it completely by choice um as far as his reasoning i'm not not entirely sure but regardless you know he put in i believe it was you know i forgot the exact math but it was something like you know he's meditating 30 40 years you know hours and hours each day um you know day in day out and uh, you know, he had kind of the best out of all the the brain scans. So he was, you know, he's been coined the world's happiest man. And he's gotten all of this, you know, popular like news media coverage. And it's like, it's kind of funny because it's like this dude who's like living a life where he's like completely like was, well, well it's like he first was in that media, like science sort of world. Then mm-hmm. he hopped out of it. And now he's back in talking about all of his experiences and like interviewing with all these like popular media sites, you know, about, you know, that, that moniker, you know, that he's, you know, kind of taken on Yeah, the world's happiest man. It's a natural thing to want to compare yourself to others, but the danger of comparing yourself to people online is they're not presenting themselves as they are. You present your best self or your, you know, whatever, your, your happiest moments, or your moments where you look the best or feel the best for the most part. And I think it can be really, like, tough on young people when they start comparing themselves to people who are online or, you know, whatever, idealized versions of people. And then you can really, you know, you can get enter a place where you start to dislike yourself, which is, like, the worst thing you can do. Like, a lot of life for me is just getting to know myself like really getting to know myself as a person and then trying to shore up the parts where you know i could improve but also embracing the parts that are positive right there's a there's this tweet that i it was uh rebranded so many times it was a tweet that i saw on instagram and uh it's it's very critical of instagram but but directly what you're talking about I just read this. I had read this last night that this guy um, says Instagram has ruined a whole generation's expectations of relationships, work, and everything in between. It has made perfect look normal, so now good has become disposable. 
So it's like we see people live, you know, that look perfect, that are living these like perfect lives, but really they're just broadcasting like this tiny segment. Like, like you know, they could they could have you know done nothing for for three weeks or something. You know, yeah. they don't they don't post the you know the real. I mean, a lot of this. The the reason I wanted to do this podcast is to try to bring a lot of that just real authenticity back, you know, into, you know, dialogue and into kind of media. Um, because a lot of it now I feel like is just, you know, very, uh, you know, it's, it's not at all reality. It's, it's certain portions of reality, certain people's reality. But then when we set that as like the bar, you know, where it's like we view, Oh, it's like, I thought I was having a good day, but then I see like whatever, you know, Kylie Jenner, you know, driving the newest, whatever the hell she drives, Mercedes or something, you know, it's, it's like, then it's like, oh, fuck, did I have a good day? But, you know, in reality, it's like, why are we basing our judgments of how we're doing, you know, on, you know, what, why is that getting changed by, you know, what we're seeing someone else do, right? It's, yeah, some of the most followed people on Instagram are models or people who really live these glamorous and probably unrealistic lifestyles. And, you know, they're probably not all good either, you know? It's like they might want to trade it for a lifestyle where they're not constantly being photographed. They're not constantly being criticized by the internet. Like, there are downsides to it, too, that we don't see. Um, mm. and this, this is also, like, we, 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 we've talked about this before with using the internet properly and internet hygiene and how to how to really I mean it's a tough problem to solve how to really you know navigate this probably the most complicated thing ever invented if we're, if we're truly honest it might just be the most complicated thing that's ever been invented um, and you like, know as, yeah, go ahead, sorry. sorry to cut you off but no as, as you've previously said you know uh, as we've kind of talked about you know it when the internet came out there was no user's manual you know, there was no, here's how you use it. Here's how not to screw yourself over using it. Here's how to use it properly. Um, but yeah, it's it's totally, I mean, this idea you mentioned of of internet hygiene, I haven't even heard that, that term before, but I'm sure that, you know, is maybe one, you know, that's going to start being used more and more as we, as we think about and, you know, inform ourselves about the, the pros and cons of all this stuff we're doing, right? And it's, it's a kind of a double-edged sword, too, because on one hand, like when I search something on Google, they're manipulating what I'm seeing. But for most cases, that's a good thing. Like you don't want, a, like if I look up, you know, how to tie my shoes, I want a very succinct maybe article on how to tie my shoes with pictures. And, you know, I want them to give me the best sort of website to learn this thing but i'm also putting a lot of trust in them to show me how to do it properly and you have to be aware that you know these sorts of things aren't infallible you know right we, like hope hopefully you'll eventually like find the the site that works for you so you finally learn to tie your shoes right <laughs> i can tie my shoes just fine but <laughs> All right, all right. Just had to point that out for all the listeners, right? For yeah. any of those who, who are doubting. And I think it's like it's a it's a tough problem to solve. How do we, you know, show people what they want to see and what they're after on the internet, but also be aware that 
not everything we're being shown is correct or accurate or um, honest. Um, and and yeah, no, I totally ag- I agree with you. And it's like I think we we think that we want to see all of this stuff that's glamorous and beautiful and perfect, but I think in another way we we want to see reality. We want to like we love you know, and I'm I'm speaking for myself along with I think you know the, our culture. We love you know the good movie, you know, Rocky, you know, about the, the, the comeback story and, you know, the, 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 you know, superhero having to go through all the battles and all the tough times, you know, to make it out onto the other side. We, we like seeing that sort of fight and overcoming obstacles, but for whatever reason, we're, we don't see that like on social media. We don't, we don't see, uh, you know, Kylie Jenner, like, you know, writing out a business plan, or I don't know if she does that stuff, but probably not. Like, <laughs> we, we don't, don't, you know, we don't, we don't see the struggle. Like, we never see in media people actually using their smartphone. It's very rare, actually, in movies or TV shows. These these universes that are created don't have phones and don't or don't use them the way we do, which is interesting. It's a, it's like how how is it that what we find entertaining isn't what we spend most of our time doing? Um, and that's something to think about. Like, why is it that we don't see these smartphones in films, in TV, when they're such a big part of our lives? Yeah. Um, we see cars, we see all sorts of other technology, and we even see TVs, and, but we don't see phones or these smartphones, these crazy devices that can do so much for us. Do you think it has anything to do with, like, because, like, looking at it externally, it kind of seems pretty mundane right like yeah it's almost like we're we're watching a reflection of ourselves you know mm-hmm. if we were to see that right too real do you, th- do you think that has yeah is that do you think yeah, that has that, something to do with why we don't see that and it's i think yeah it's not super maybe engaging with the device is interesting but watching someone else engage with the device is quite boring because one you're not engaging with it and two you can't see what they're engaging with um but yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's tough to handle like all these sorts of like the power of a of a cell phone alone mm. to be able to talk to anyone in the world. That's that's that was a big invention, and now we can not only talk to everyone, but we can like engage with anyone we want. Um, think how many like Facebook friends you have, and how many you know people you follow on Instagram. Like trying to keep all that in your brain is really hard. Like I've seen, I don't, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've seen like most people at any given time have 60 to hundred friends, like in real life that they engage with. Yet, why is that number so much higher online? Do we value those friendships less? Probably. Um, I read something in a, I think, you know, some psychology thing about how we're, we're kind of evolutionarily hardwired to have kind of, like uh you know our our web to sort of be like i think the number was like around like 200 people people that you know we we know um you know on various degrees but it's like yeah it's like you know now it's like an infinity i mean because you could you know add friends of friends of friends of friends like there's no limit 
and really you know you could kind of talk to whoever you want online and i think that's actually a a cool kind of part of it is like you know it's giving people a chance to <clears throat> be able to get in touch um you know with people that otherwise they they may have never even met you yeah. know um or at least that it would be a lot harder i mean and it's crazy just the different um the different sort of mediums of communication like you know i think about like when facetime came out like you know i've heard all sorts you know like people like you know with relatives you know in some you know other country you know where you know they hadn't they haven't actually like seen each other in person for like you know 10 years or whatever but then they see each other on facetime it's like like yeah. that's the coolest thing ever right like that's revolutionary mm -hmm. so it's like like it's like what you know we're talking about it's like all these things it's like like there's like the internet, social media, like these things are all tools. Like that, that that's the way I view them. And tools are not good or bad. Like you could use a hammer to build a house. You could also use a hammer to hit yourself on the head and knock yourself out. Like, something. Yeah, it's it's all a tool. It's just you know, yeah, it's up to the user to how they're going to use it, right? But it, there's the risk of like a lot of these. A lot of stuff in the internet is designed to produce a positive response. You can get very addicted to it. So, like, I think it can be very tempting to check your Facebook all the time because you want to see updates. Or it, it, it's very, it's very like pleasing when someone comments or someone says something. You get like this dopamine rush. That's great. But then when you're not getting that dopamine rush, you're kind of in this period of anxiety and anticipation that doesn't feel very good. Until right. you get that positive feedback and just. Going long periods of anticipation and anxiety with small bursts of dopamine, I feel like are tough. And then we just, you know, we start to maybe resent resent it a little, but also feel like we're trapped using it. That, yeah, I, I could 100% agree with you. And I think it can also create a lot of like kind of sticky situations where it's like if we're tying our kind of happiness or satisfaction to like say, how many likes say how many likes you're getting on a picture you post on instagram say each like is kind of it kind of represents when you see that like that's sort of like you know your brain's getting a little hit of dopamine you know and dopamine is the, the you know what's kind of the pleasure neurotransmitter it's involved in drive and you know kind of uh you know wanting to, to keep doing things again and again and again and reward um, you know, all pretty much all addictive drugs in some way or another target dopamine. And, you know, a lot of ways social media is kind of, it does have a drug like effect kind of on the, on the brain. I mean, a huge, you know, maybe more so than a drug, right? Like, um, but you know, as far as, as far as that goes, I think, I don't know if you, if you, if you have any other comments on that, I think it's, it's it's almost amazing that we're able to handle that level of distraction. I mean, for the vast majority of human history, most people didn't leave their village, let alone have access to all the information in the world, for the most part. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible what you can learn on the internet, like right. through, whether it be online education or just ebooks. Like, there's a lot of really cool stuff. But really, I think it's, yeah, it's all in moderation. You don't want it to take over. And mm -hmm. I think it's going to be very easy just to recede to your room and never leave your room, never experience the world and just 
experience it through the filter of your phone. You know, you can now order food to your door. You can order any item you want with Prime. And it's just like, it's this amazing tool, as we, we've kind of talked about, but that you really can never leave your house and feel like you're living a full life, but not realize mm -hmm. sometimes just being out in the world is really, really fun. <laughs> And yes, especially it's the distraction of your phone. Like, I've started going out when I can without, you know, I, once I give it up for the month, that'll be a whole other thing. But I've just been experimenting a little lately with when I go to the supermarket, just not take my cell phone with me. Just leave it at home and just focus on the task at hand with no sort of external distractions and not feel like I'm busy the whole time. You know, let myself. Yeah doze off or, you know, check out a little when I'm, you know, waiting in line to get my yeah. food ringed up or rung up. Yeah, I think that's an awesome, like, just habit to integrate. And before we expand on that anymore, I just want to go back to, to concluding kind of the finish, the, the other point that I kind of got okay. distracted on, which was, you know, when we're sort of basing our, our happiness level on, you know, how many likes, say, we're getting on a picture. It's like, okay, say we post a picture and get, hundred likes you know then that's sort of the baseline right so it's like then say the next picture we posted we got 150 you got 150 likes then you're like this is awesome like you know you're getting like even more and more dopamine you're getting more and more reward activity but then say you post a picture and you only get 70 likes there's someone out there who would you know, 70 likes is going to be like the most likes they've ever gotten on a picture and who would think that's crazy. But mm -hmm. it's all relative. You know, it's all like your your baseline is all relative based on, you know, kind of what you're used to. And I think that's, that's so scary and kind of it, it puts a lot of our own like self-esteem, I think, in other people's hands where it's like, you know, even though people aren't judging us you know, face to face, they're kind of virtually judging, you know, virtually judging us, you know, by, you know, how many likes we get on a picture. And I think uh, <clears throat> it's actually a really interesting idea that uh, Kanye, Kanye West proposed a little while ago of like, he was, he actually like asked, you know, I think the, the, the founder of Instagram um, to like put like basically install a, a mode which would abolish likes, you know, like, so, so you could post and not, and like, obviously that would change everything. Cause like we think of, you know, a post is kind of good or bad based on the amount of likes, but it's like, you know what, a post that, you know, something you post that's like, you know, it's like goes back to the, the marketing. It's like, if you post something absolutely crazy, you know, like, Oh, you know, I'm in, Thailand, like, you know, whatever, like something that's like, you know, cool, like, you you know, you went on vacation, you're having this amazing time, uh, you know, that'll obviously get uh, a lot more likes than if you're going to like, you know, take a picture of like, I don't know, that tree. And then like, you could, you could, you could literally just take a picture of your, of a tree and like explain in the picture, like why, and like, you know, all the things that you're perceiving. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's probably not going to get that many likes because it's a tree. Like, yeah, there, there are definitely some things that definitely are more rewarded in a sense in terms of likes, in terms of how many people see your post and you know, 
how, how, how it captivates our limited attention spans. Like maybe we want, might not be willing to read a big block of text below a picture to make it more clear. We just want the picture to communicate exactly what it's showing us. Mm -hmm. And then move on to the next post and keep just that back and forth, back and forth. Right. And it all starts with, yeah, like that, like getting comfortable. I really think getting comfortable with yourself and being confident in yourself without letting external factors necessarily dictate how you feel about yourself. Right. Right. And it's, it's, <clears throat> I think, a nice segue into like talking about, I mean, I think it's scary uh, just the, you know, kind of the state in which like kids nowadays are kind of growing up in, which is like, you know, where they're, they're constantly tied to this, you know, you know, all sorts of whatever digital devices and, you know, obviously not, not all of it's bad, you know, they can get a lot of education and stuff out of that, you know. Um, but as far as like the social media stuff and like cyberbullying, you know, we hear about, it's like, that's something we, we, me and you, cause we're, are you 23 now? 23, You're 23 and I'm 22. And it's like, we, we grew up kind of, experiencing like we we kind of remember what it was like before this stuff took over in the way it did like i don't know about you but i remember like i'm just thinking like kids that see this now are gonna be like this dude is old as fuck like just by me saying this is like i think about like like myspace or whatever like was like the coolest like i was like i remember like you know, I made a, you know, MySpace account, you know, without my mom's permission, you know, or whatever. And I was like, oh, this is like such a, you know, rebellious thing, you know? Yeah. And I was like, but still like, I mean, that was kind of at least my, maybe other people's kind of intro to like social media. But I mean, I don't think I got that till I think it was like middle school. Right. But yeah. and also, is, you don't have the ability as a kid to go home and get away. Like you, the second you're on social media, People know where to find you 24-7 online. Like, you don't have that escape when it's like you have a bad day at school. And then when you get home, though, it's all gone. You're just with your family, with your parents. Like you, have, you have, like, a bit of a safe spot to really reconvene and collect yourself. And you don't feel like you're under this constant noise of either attack or even praise or whatever. Or just mm -hmm. you have some just time with your family and where you can really develop as opposed to constantly being targeted or, you know, whatever, whatever it's being used for. Right. Like, did you, did you notice like, you know, like say, you know, when, cause I guess just to back up a little bit, I feel like, you know, as I was telling you before, I think like, you know, sort of like, I think of, you know, when the, the little, you know, iPod shuffle, I feel like kind of was like the start of it all. Maybe other people could like point to a different device, but I feel like once that came out, then it was like, all right, everyone's hooked on iPods. And then once they come out, you know, once they came out with the touch, it was like a touch screen. Like this is crazy. Yeah. This off, you know, and along with other smartphones coming out, like that obviously kind of, you know, blew up, you know, the, the possibilities of, you know, what you could use a phone for. And then, you know, we, you know, obviously, uh, you know, MySpace, blew up pretty big but you know obviously not nearly to the degree that you know afterwards facebook did and yeah. i think twitter was maybe around the same time you think yeah twitter's not bad then i'm not quite sure well twitter was originally inter developed internally 
for I believe uh, Square or some some other company that Jack Dorsey worked at. It was just a communication app in like internally in their company that hey, this might be a fun thing for everyone to interact with, which you know it kind of had a weird origin where it was where it's what it's used for now was not what it was built for. Right. Again, yes, that... Facebook and all these things like Facebook, I mean, everyone knows the sort of Facebook, most people know the sort of Facebook uh, from the movie Social Network, which obviously glamorizes it. But for the most part, like it wasn't, they really shifted towards more family and, you know, oriented stuff and really trying to promote that sort of environment where like, you know, your mom can post pictures on Facebook, but the teenager could also use Facebook to, you know, like pages or, you know, young people could use it to you know, join events. Like there's all these different, everyone has their different reasons for using it, which is probably what makes it so attractive, despite mm -hmm. the fact that you give up a lot going on Facebook. Once you're, once you're on Facebook, it's hard to, you know, rewind the tape. You don't get to just mm -hmm. delete your account. You can like deactivate it, but it's very hard to actually like, remove yourself from it mm, right point where, right like there are even pages of people who passed on like passed away like it's yeah. like there's millions of those it's it's kind of creepy in a way these these things just stick around um and you know i feel like had that been packaged more clearly to my parents or i don't know if 13 i would have cared but at least my parents would may have taken a closer look at it but you know these sorts of when you click accept to make your account, you don't read all that stuff. You don't read what they're, about, but you know, when you upload a picture of Facebook, Facebook owns it. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's, that makes me not want to upload pictures to Facebook. I don't yeah. like that I lose my ability to, you know, keep that property. Like it becomes, right. and it's free. So it makes sense that they're going to, you know, take advantage of the fact that they can gather information about you and learn about you to sell the advertisers. But, not to beat a dead horse, but yeah, like that's something that I think might could be more clearly articulated to people when using these applications. Although right. the benefit to the company to do it. Yeah. And it's like you mentioned, you know, about like being thirteen and maybe not caring about some of the stuff. And it's like, how about a seven year old? You know, like because right. like I mean that's the thing. It's like I feel like it's younger and younger ages and I'm just curious, like like how do you think, you know, our kind of early childhoods, you know, kind of before we were kind of like heavily on, like I view, I feel like high school, I don't know about you, but I feel like high school is kind of the start of like heavy kind of everyone using social media and it really just blowing up. But like, what I'm curious, what do you think? Like, how do you think like our development was kind of like different, you know, with kind of like somewhat removed from that? Yeah, calling like a house with like a landline I always liked that like method because you you know the parent of the household would pick up, they'd ask who was calling, you would have to talk to the adult, explain there wasn't all this just messaging going on behind the scenes where there's more opportunities for kids to be mean to each other. There's more of a gatekeeper element to it. And again, I mean I'm sure there are parents who are very vigilant about social media use and stuff, but it takes time for people to catch up and so to realize that this sort of stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just hope more people are a little bit, you know, more cautious when introducing these sorts of things, um, given how it can be challenging to navigate 
It really can be. Right. No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, those. That's very true. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think I was I was thinking, you know, I've thought more about like kind of just like the neurological like, you know, development, like how, like like attention spans, like how you know, kind of like you said, you know, how you don't any longer kind of have to like go out of your house, like, you know, and I think like a lot of the great moments as a kid were it was nothing like crazy necessarily it was just you're playing at a sunny park with your friends and you know kicking a soccer ball around or something it's like and i feel like i don't know i feel like that is maybe getting kind of lost like maybe now you know i mean i feel like kids are like playing soccer you know with their friends in an indoor house you know from the privacy of their rooms you know on some app like and it's not it's not the same like part of how like sports for young people are constructed nowadays encourages more of that like i don't know like i always felt like in high school like it really like sports and competitive stuff really catered to the top five percent of students you know you have a bunch of kids try out and they'd cut most of them and then they'd have the team and those who got cut couldn't play soccer like it just was a very difficult thing there was like there's competitive leagues they're just I really feel like high schools and schools in general could do a better job of encouraging young people to participate in competitive events or and learn to work with maybe people who have different skill levels or different abilities or different just are gifted athletically in different ways because a lot of life is learning how to interact with maybe people who are different than you or aren't just if you're just playing with the best soccer players, you're not going to know how to handle a situation where you're, you know, dealing with someone maybe who has a different set of skills than you, but you need to be able to work with them. Mm. Like when I, when I played them, um, when I was rowing, our team wasn't co-ed, but we traveled together with the women. We would take the bus to the lake with the women. We would have land practice at the same location. So a lot of energy went into, you know, working with people at different skill levels you know varsity athletes would train sometimes with freshmen and these sorts of these sorts of like more interesting dynamics really were beneficial to me whereas you know back in high school you know you just you were just with people who made the team which were people were very competent right i think that like that like skill is a really valuable one and we shouldn't discourage people from you know, trying to better themselves or compete just because their skill levels might vary. Um, but, you know, and yeah, it sounds like, oh, everyone there's a participation trophy, but... I was going to ask, actually. Yeah, I was, that, that was the next thing I was going to ask you, is just, like, your thought on, like... There's still many mean, losers in the competition. You just have to work with a different and more varied group. Like, for example, why don't, why don't men and women play, like, soccer together? I mean, there's obviously practical reasons in, like, football, whereas... Like, if someone is very, very small, they get very, very hurt. But, like, a non-contact sport, I don't see why not, personally, in terms of learning to work with, you know. In this case, maybe if you do co-ed, like, I always find those way more fun, too. Like, they're still, you still win or lose the game, but if there are four women and four men on each team, you have a more interesting, maybe team-driven dynamic that you might have not had if it was 
just you know the same skill level uh-huh. um but again well we, we've talked about how this might not even be an issue in the in the future with uh with uh gene editing and uh and uh you know messing around with that sort of stuff where you know i don't know how close we are probably not close at all but you know this I is mean, more fine. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, we see it, you know, in sports with, you know, with doping with, you know, say Lance Armstrong. And it's like, you know, sure, like testosterone shots have been around for who knows how long, you know, that's pretty basic form of doping. But it was like, I don't know if you read like the in-depth on like Lance Armstrong, like he he wasn't he wasn't some idiot who was just shooting himself up with testosterone and then sat on the couch and then somehow won some Tour de France trophies. Like, people people might try to paint him in that light now that he's come out as a cheater, but that's that's not how it was. It was like, it was like he had, like, a team around him that would, like, you know, they would put together, like, okay, you got to, like, take this amount of this, you know. It could be, you know, a medication, you know, like the, like the EPO he was using, the or EPO. Um, which I believe like increases like red blood cells or is it white blood cells doesn't matter but basically you know helps kind of promote you know oxygen you know uh, or, or the longer I shouldn't even be, be talking about this because I'm not an expert on what EPO does but the point being it was all very targeted things the blood transfusions I don't know if you read like he would have people like literally come in or he would wake himself up at like you know various points during the night to he would have to get up and walk around the tent where, you know where they were staying so his blood wouldn't clot you know because right so like it's so scary but it's like that is what the the extent he went to and it was like it was not just him and that's been well documented like so it's like you think of like kind of a whole sport in a large way going to these crazy measures to basically you know hack uh yeah and that's kind of a newer term the whole idea of biohacking is one thing I've, I've i'm really passionate about but you know that was kind of maybe before there was that that term but you know where we see this you know where people are going to all sorts of measures you know whether it's you know whether it's sleep i mean sleep is one of the biggest you know we see performance differences in athletes in you know in a you know, like, uh, like snipers, um, there was some study about like, you know, eight hours of sleep, you know, they're, they're hitting the target however many times. And then it's like seven hours of sleep, their performance like halves. And then it's like, you know, six hours, like it's, you know, it, it's like a, you know, a very steep decline. And so it's like, whether it's sleep, whether it's like drugs, whether it's nutrition now is like, you know, really coming, you know, to like, you know, I think just the talk about different diets is like at an all-time high. It seems like I feel like we're we're very like, especially with the demanding world we live in. Like, we already are using all of the technologies that are currently available to us to sort of hack, whether it be athletic or cognitive performance. But you're right that you know once there is this whole new wave of you know editing genes and you know you know being able to turn on and off certain genes because we know like with the field of epigenetics it's not simply the genes that you're born with that that make all the difference it's whether those genes get the signal to turn on 
and do their job or if you know or not it's like to, to explain what's that right now we have a pretty clear line between like what what it means to be doping on a competitive level like you can do certain steroids are totally legal but the second you want to compete they become banned right but what what happens when we start turning on flipping on genes in humans what at what point do we draw the line of competition or even sense of self i think there's a real risk with this sort of stuff of a loss of sense of self-identity in terms of like am i really the person i was supposed to be or am i just like this because someone messed around in there Mm, right right and it's like when also when we see other people like if they're doing all these things and you know then it's like if we don't do that to keep up, we're going to get left in the dust and then our self-esteem is going to plummet because we're not keeping up, right? Do you, yeah, do you or, think that's or, also... Or what if you have a more extreme case of like we use gene mapping and we find that, you know, a baby has a certain mapping that's associated with a very high risk of cancer in their 30s. Right. What, you know, these sorts of things, it's like how do we handle that ethical question? On one hand, there's a certain like obligation to understand how these things work to help prevent and save lives but on the other hand you don't want information about yourself that you can't change that's just catastrophic on your psyche right ruins the time you do have right right and it's like i feel like a lot of people like you know wouldn't wouldn't want to know their death date like you know and and ai is pretty good at guessing it they can if they which is which is scary right yeah as we get more information it's like I mean, it's really cool in terms of, like, for example, look at, like, breast cancer. If you get regularly checked as a woman, there's a very good chance you will never die of it. Because if they catch it early, same with skin cancer, catch it early, it's very, very, not easy, but, you know, we have ways to deal with it. But if we catch it late, it's almost impossible to deal with. So it's like, you know, there's, like, an obligation to check, but there's also, like, you can't be living your whole life in fear of something right. at some point like that's just that's part of what makes life so great is the finite nature of it right but, right do you think do you think ai has you know had a, a really big contribution to like just our ability to understand like you well, know different us, genes and diseases well it lets, us, it lets us like handle really large data sets that like no human get their hand around but fundamentally i think the word ai is thrown around a little too loosely yeah, like like me for instance, it's like I always like if if someone if you were to like ask me like define AI, like I I would probably struggle to I would do ask that. You, what's even intelligence? How would you define intelligence? What what do we even is it IQ, raw IQ or is it something else? Like what what makes something intelligence? And I would argue unpredictability is part of intelligence, whereas artificial has the capability to solve complex problems but in a predictable way mm, right um, and uh like i mean although i had i had the weird i have the weird experience i don't know if you use gmail but they have when you type an email they have like the continuation of the sentence and it's really good at guessing what you're going to say uh, based on what you've said but it would never be able to guess what you're going to say before you start typing the email or it would have a much more difficult time or it would need different factors it wouldn't just need the information that you previously typed in the email. It would need to know who you're t- emailing, 
It would need to know perhaps previous correspondence. So it would need different levels of in, input to handle it. Right, so right. I guess what you're going to say next, if you use the word thank, there's a very good chance you is going to come next. It's not a difficult prediction for the machine to make based on all the times people have said thank. Right. So it, it, it almost sounds like you're kind of saying like, I mean, if we just look at like human intelligence, do you, do you associate kind of unpredictability, you know, in, in whatever, uh, you know, kind of, do you associate that with like sort of higher intelligence? Cause I think, I think there's definitely a connection there with, with creativity, with thinking out of the box, not following kind of the herd mentality where it's like, there's, there's unpredictability in, in being original and coming up with yeah. new ideas, right? Like what, when what do you find your phone, it's almost pretty easy for them to predict what you're going to like, for example. Whereas if you just picked a random person on the street and like tried to guess what they liked based on what they were maybe wearing, it would be a lot harder. Mm, yeah. So as, so really what it takes is unpredictability goes down as information goes up. And a lot of AI is traversing trees that contain information, each node contain information, and then making guesses based on many, many iterations. That's kind of like, at least if you take an AI course, you'll see a lot of that, a lot of math, a lot of right. solid stuff. It's very like, there shouldn't be, when AI does something, you shouldn't necessarily be too shocked unless, you know, you introduce side effects, which is totally possible. But for the most part, like when we construct trees for AI with information encoded in them, we're not necessarily surprised at the fact that it gives a response because that's what it's designed to do. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, like immensely helpful, right? I mean, to, to all sorts of fields, whether that be medicine or, you know, I mean, tons of tons of other, I mean, AI is obviously, you know, like we're talking about the hot new term, you know, that's kind of being thrown around and used in all sorts of disciplines, right? Yeah. I mean, it can be applied to many things. But I think, yeah, I do think, like, we get this weird idea that it's, like, danger, inherently dangerous, which I don't think it is. Like, it's, it's uh, humans are dangerous because they're the ones building these sorts of things. You know, at the end of the day, someone had to write the code or a formula or whatever that made the thing go haywire. It's not yeah. like it's not like you're letting a rabid dog loose in a room crowd of crowded people where you kind of don't know who it's going to grab. You should have an idea that's going to grab someone. Right. Um, I feel like, yeah, there, there's definitely like a lot of like power and lessening of danger by like, no, you know, all this information AI is giving us and all of the math. But I think like, you know, one of the things that, you know, if we bring it to say the field of like health, you know, say, you know, AI can predict if, you know, if you have certain, a certain gene or a certain set of genes that say, you know, you've got, uh, I'm not going to say super high, but say like, say you got like a 70% chance of dying of breast cancer when you're 65. So it's like, I feel like there's going to be certain people that are going to take that information and they're going to be like, well, shit, I got to like live all my life before I hit that point because yeah. chances are I'm going to be dead, like statistically speaking. But then, I mean, where I kind of fall is like sort of, um, I mean, it's following 
math and statistics, but I guess in a sort of different way where it's looking at um, kind of what I'm really interested interested in is like epigenetics and how all of the things like how our diet, how all the you know the air we breathe, the activities we do, the input we take in, you know the the just what you know all of our behaviors and actions and thoughts how that actually shapes the uh, the expression of our genes so it's like say that person let's let's keep with that example of the you know the person that has a 70% chance of dying of breast cancer the the woman who has a 70% chance of dying of breast cancer say when she hits 65 so what if she didn't have that information maybe she would have maybe she would actually like live a lot healthier of a life like do you, you think like do you think i mean it it seems like there's kind of a danger of not knowing obviously but then at the same time there's like more of a psychological danger of knowing well what How, you, if, like there's also the risk of your data your, you know perhaps you check off things as i don't if i if there's anything that you know i don't want to know anything about my death or anything i just want to know about things i can do like perhaps to reduce the risk of, you know, heart disease or, you know, wh whatever your mapping comes back with, you don't want anything dangerous. But the second you get your genome mapped, if that gets into the wrong hands, you know, people have a mapping of your genome and can tell you terrible things about yourself. And the other thing I feel like is people are like, we're just naturally curious. Like you think about kids, they're always like getting into places they're not supposed to get into. Um, you know, doing, you know, exploring, doing things we're not supposed to do. And it's like, I feel like that's a lot, you know, how a lot of like science has progressed is like, you know, following, you know, new innovative kind of things that were previously told to like stay away from or it's too dangerous or this or that. But I mean, I just feel like, gosh, like, do you think it's, I feel like a lot of people may have a hard time sort of resisting that temptation. Like if, if it is somewhere, like if, if there is a report somewhere that says, you know, that there's a 70% chance you're going to, you're going to die of cancer when you're 65. Like how, like, are you really going to be able to live day in day out without knowing that? Like, I feel like I'd have a hard time, like not clicking yeah. that, yeah. you know, opening that window per se. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a dangerous dangerous territory to enter where we're going to be able to just understand we understand so well in certain aspects you know how these sorts of things are formed or you know the sort of odds and again they're just odds though so it's not like it's a guarantee it's like, i think it, it often gets misinterpreted as a guarantee because when when we think of like oh there's like 70 percent chance of something happening like if if you look at the weather report and it says 70 percent chance of rain you're like oh it's gonna rain tomorrow you're gonna take an umbrella you're gonna take an umbrella yeah so it's like even like i think that's an important distinction and it's it's important that we kind of tease those apart because it's like you do still have the opportunity to to affect a very great kind of percentage and and those are just odds based on average normal people right like it's um like do you think ai kind of eliminates a lot of just kind of the, the individual differences that that exist amongst all of us or like like where it kind of just groups us all into Again, categories I, I would, yeah i would really think of ai as 
complicated math that makes good guesses. Like that's what okay. we're kind of at right now. Like whereas about it's, the, yeah. there's like I don't know if you've heard of something called the uh, Turing test. And it's yeah. and the AI passes the Turing test when it can trick a human into thinking it's also human. We're not even close. The closest we came was there was a software developed by a chatbot developed in Russia. And it was able to trick people for about five minutes into thinking it was human. But they told the participants that the subject they were talking to was a child. Mm-hmm. So they kind of skewed how it worked. And I mean, maybe more recently something has come out, but as of like a couple of years ago, that was, it. that was the best we got. And Turing himself predicted we would have something past Turing test in the year 2000. So it's slow going. It's, it's tough when we, you know, we're kind of hamstrung by the fact that we don't understand how even consciousness works or what it is. Like when we can't define everything, it's very hard to develop um, uh, something to replicate it. Um, mm-hmm. And would we even want to? Humans are imperfect. So we don't necessarily, there's not necessarily a motivation to create something exactly human because you get something that's not quite human, but imperfect. Right, right. right. Yeah, because it's like all about, I mean, all this technology is, is, you know, in a lot of ways able to do things in a way we can't do. And I think that's, you know, what's awesome. That's why we, yeah, because it can crunch all of these numbers that previously you would have to have a calculator and be doing that for how many hours, how many days, or guess what, before the calculator was invented, you'd have to be like scribbling that out. You'd be having that like hand add all of those, like think about how long, you know, that could take your entire lifetime to add up something that AI could probably calculate in what, like a couple seconds? A well, second, right? In bad ways, like it was interesting. They found recently that people respond or at least are more likely to click a negative headline than a positive one. So if you are generating AI that presents news to people, it's going to prioritize the bad news if your goal is to maximize attention and clicks and just to wrap it up and bring it back to you know, that whole idea of you know, targeting. This idea of using AI to you know, figure out what gets people to interact with your content the most. Typically, it's negative stuff, unfortunately, that people want to see. And I don't know if that's a product of our society or just like a product of humans being interested in kind of stuff that's morbid or, you know, maybe it's a comparison. Oh, at least I'm not being, you know, torn apart in a shark attack or my city wasn't ravaged by an earthquake or whatever it is. Like there's something about negative news that in the moment feels good, but in the long run, I think bums you out or, you know, kind of puts you in a bad psychological state. I agree. That's actually, yeah, that's definitely a big part, part, like part of the reason I, I don't ever watch the news. Like I will, I subscribe to this website, shout out, or I guess it's more like a newsletter, um, like that goes to my email, shout out the skim. Like, I think it's a really good, uh, uh, sort of media, uh, you know, um, modality because it's, it's just giving me kind of like these snapshots of the things that are going around, you know, like happening in the world, but it's not necessarily like negatively skewed per se. Like it's just, or, or kind of 
based off you know political stuff um and that's how i stay informed but as far as that goes like i feel like i mean i think there's huge you know kind of health and, and psychological consequences to to watching the news because it's basically putting us in that that fight or flight mode you know where you know it's not necessarily there's not a direct danger to us but you know, we can get convinced that there is, you know, we, we see stuff on TV and we see, you know, um, say, you know, school the shootings, fires, for example, right fires, now. fire, wait, what being, is burning right now. And right. It's, right. It's a real bummer, but like personally, there's nothing I can do about it. And there's something very frustrating about knowing something bad is going on, but you know, being, you know, just being so in a different sphere that you all you know is something bad is going on. And there's a fine balance right. between being informed and then stressing about stuff that you have no ability to really change in your current mm. position. And yeah. you have to balance it, those things. Yeah. And that obviously, like, that's something that annoys me immensely about politics is like, or just talking about politics because it's like often you're you're bickering with someone else about, you know, what, an individual or a couple individuals are doing which you basically have no control over like i i can control whether i pay attention to that or not but i can't control what those people are actually you know gonna do or you know um so i just i just see it as like why don't we have discussions about stuff we can in some way control or at least have some kind of influence over like 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 me and you i can't control you i can't have like a you're not like a a doll or whatever like on a you know pulley or whatever yeah but it's like i can influence you i can be like yo man like this uh this phone super cool you should get one like and it's like it's obviously not always that overt but it's like but, but everything influences us uh, like each person we we all influence each other yeah but the so think, you have yeah. a face to it so like you recommend me a phone and it sucks i know not to trust you with phone stuff whereas when when you're being influenced and you don't realize it you can start making poor decisions without even realizing why you're making the poor decisions it's you know that's that can be very uh that can be that can be more difficult. It's something very honest about you know having a conversation with somebody where you're committing to your what you're saying, your your you know, your convictions or your ideas, as opposed to just either agreeing or just arguing for the sake of arguing, not really being productive about it, or not trying to reach some insight or understanding about yourself or others. Like like I mean, I've I've seen a lot of re- studies on like political orientation and a lot of it is about half of it is just you're born either feeling you know you're kind of born with um being you know right or left or whatever and the other half is environment so it's like these sorts of factors it's like what makes you this way it's like well some of it you can't even control um and uh i think letting all that go can be very very healthy yeah i mean it I haven't. I mean, that something's important. I'll find out about it. Someone will tell me. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. If it's life-threatening, you know. Yeah, someone will hopefully tell me. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think you know there's there's a lot of things to unpack in that, but you know, I I think it's it's often you know with with just you know health in general back to you know back to that. I mean everything like you know our intelligence or you know our risk of getting different diseases or our athletic ability. These things are all partly genes, partly things that we're born with that are there and they do definitely shape behavior and, and, you know, traits and all this stuff. But at the same time, there is so much of like environment and how the genes and environment interact. I mean, that's the whole field of epigenetics. I mean, there's so many complex interactions that occur. It's, it's, you know, I think it's, it's doing the best with the cards you're dealt. Right. Cause I mean, maybe, maybe we'll get to the point where, you know, there'll be, you know, kind of these like super, you think there'll, there'll be like a point. I mean, I feel like it's going to come where there's like these super kids that are, are going to get born, like, because we're going to know so much. So it's going to be like, you know, we're going to be able to like, you know, program the exact desired genes like yeah for and make that kid a brilliant like math wizard who's also six foot seven and is gonna dunk on everyone you know yeah it's the question is should we or not and i don't have an answer to that (laughs) do you think i mean does does the do you know like what the the latest is with the law because i i know it used to be like i mean there was that huge thing with like poly remember that like the sheep i think that was like was that like 1985 or I think somewhere around there? Maybe what was that? Polly, the the sheep that they like, based that was like the first creature that they did like genetic manipulation on, or it was like the first you know like where that it was the product. It was like born having like the the embryo or or whatever like genetically manipulated or something, but. They were like there. There were tons of ethical concerns when that happened, and it's like that's a sheep, like you know, like when it yeah. comes to humans. What do you know anything about? Is like the state of that? Like there was these. Um, they uh, they definitely messed with in China recently um, with certain genes in unborn children that had to do with uh, preventing HIV. Mm. And it turned out to be pretty, the scientific community was pretty upset with it. They, uh, it, it's, a, it's a pretty big ethical breach. I don't see us anytime soon doing that just because we don't know the long-term consequences. And anytime science can't clearly outline what potential long-term risks are, we don't do it. Right. Because and... a child dies at eight years old because turning that, flipping that gene, mess some other sequencing up. Right. All of a sudden, you've committed murder, basically. Right. I mean, yeah, it's a tricky situation because it's like if if there's that existence now of that where it's like, it, so, so basically wait, wait, the way you explain it, so it's like there's basically something that we can do before a baby's bur- like born to greatly decrease their genetic chances of developing hiv that was the theory i i I, i'm not a geneticist i don't understand oh i i do know that they that and it that it had some negative effects on the children we'll give like a like a disclaimer like right below right below your your face like not a geneticist (laughs) 
Yeah. All I know is there was there was something with that that there was some backlash, and I think also. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm always like trying to better myself. I don't know. Like, can you imagine being like born perfect? Like, what would you, what would you do with yourself? Mm-hmm. One, there'd be an immense amount of pressure on you to produce something worthwhile to society, which I don't think is fair to place on anyone. Like, that's, you know, some people are, you know, just want to, you know, raise their families and live a normal, happy life. And to choose that for someone by making them a superhuman, I just don't see us ever doing that. I think it's the imperfection of man is something that's kind of, and I use man as mankind, um, is pretty. How, how politically incorrect of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway, mankind is like about self improvement. And then if you can, you know, get yourself right, then contributing to society. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel pretty strong in it, which is why, I don't know, I think a lot about how can I be a better person right. first before I think of trying to change how others act. Right, because right. we thought that you can't control. Yeah, no, and I think that's, that's probably... Home, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and obviously that's, that's a big part. Decision. Like, I, like I make a decision like in a car now, to not get angry just just go with the flow and just that little change has made driving so much more pleasant and that was all just in my head there was nothing like i didn't like doing physically to myself i didn't i just made a decision i think a lot of life is making and affirming things about yourself and then acting them out acting out that story you want to tell yourself Mm -hmm. i think you know going back to the idea of like you know being like say born perfect and it's like i mean we could argue say like you know an athlete say say lebron say lebron james like basically has the ideal genetic code to be the greatest basketball player in the world but at the same time i mean you know just reading up a little about his background like he he did you know kind of maybe he wasn't like the, you know homeless but he he was definitely kind of came from from poverty and was like i'm sure like very motivated by like you know trying to kind of make it out like you know you know once once you got into high school and started getting like all of these you know crazy you know news coverage and he realized like damn like you know i'm i'm about to be making like millions in the nba like you know it's it it wasn't obviously just raw talent and I mean, I think for for anyone right now, I mean, even if it's, uh, you know, people we think of as, you know, super, super smart, say, you know, a chess wizard or something, it's like, we don't think about, like, the, the number of hours, you know, like that, I think like that, you know, 10,000 hour rule, you know, that Malcolm Gladwell about, yeah. you know, it takes 10,000 hours, whether that is true or not, but roughly, you know, 10,000. But yeah. 10,000 hours basically to to fully kind of master a skill mm-hmm. um and you know in that book it, it gave lots of examples of like you know child prodigies you know like like tiger woods like someone like he got his 10,000 hours in before he was five like you know he was he was raised on the golf course he was literally a baby on the golf course and it was like you know he still had to 
have the genetic capacity to be able to, I mean, like think about like coordination and like hitting a golf ball, like that involves very, very precise, fine motor movement. And like a lot of that is, is genetic. I mean, if he had some kind of like muscular dystrophy, you know, gene, then like obviously there would be no Tiger Woods, you know, it's, it's all a combo, I think, right? Like, yeah, no, it definitely, it's like also like, there's also like, it's like a 50 50. You, know, you, you, you dealt the hand you're dealt, but then it's what do you do with it? Like, there are plenty of athletically gifted people who have chosen other avenues other than sport or using it. You know, it's like, it's not like you have to. And a lot of, a lot of these pro athletes fundamentally do enjoy it because it's hard. And like, also, like, when we talk about LeBron, he also made a decision to not only be, you know, he's made a good role model off the court. You know, he's a family man. He's, you know, you know, taking care of his kids. You know, he does all these other things that, you know, charity, all these things that, like, he doesn't have to do. You know, he's an amazing basketball player. He could just, you know, he could do whatever he wants off the court, but he doesn't, which I think is overlooked a lot with pro athletes where, you know, there is a lot of, there isn't much pressure for them to be a good person. They don't have to be. No. I mean, no. I mean, it's good for, you know, their Nike deal or whatever. But for the most part, like, if you can perform on the court, you don't necessarily have, like, look at Michael Jordan. He wasn't, like, the nicest guy. But he won. Right. Was, you know, savage on the basketball court. That's actually another, like, kind of, kind of transitioning gears but i think a very interesting topic within itself and and something we previously touched on to some degree which is kind of you know like thinking about like would would michael jordan be michael jordan if he wasn't that like kind of harsh bastard that you know maybe he was and i i think like i mean i i think of someone like like steve jobs is someone you know i look up to you know, immensely. And like, I just, you know, I think he's a, you know, he was a genius and like marvel at the things that he was able to accomplish in his lifetime. But it was, it's been well documented that he was not good with like people like you, if you met him, you'd probably be like, that dude was an asshole. Like, like, but at the same time, like, like, do you think the two and two go together? Like of being like, like, do you think you could, be like a super nice person like like do you feel like that is is needed to be like kind of like harsh and kind of cold with other people in order to get to that highest degree of success or is that like is that a correlation that is not like a what is it like it's not like causative or whatever yeah, yeah it's not like it's not the reason i i yeah. you know again it's it's these are the questions you just you don't know I do think there's no, I, I really do believe though there's no harm in being a good person. Like if I had the choice to be like best in a certain field, I was a jerk or, you know, be a good person. Like I think that decision's pretty easy for me because I don't know if I could live with myself being, you know, not a good person, but, high, but highly skilled. I think there's a balance to strike, you know, you can't, and then some people just, you know, and sometimes that's what it takes for progress to fully, just commit to what you're doing and not care about anything around you. But mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't see myself as that kind of Yeah. And before we go any further on that, I, I want to just like more go kind of big picture here. Like when you said that thing about like 
like how you know again it's like we don't have a clear answer right you know as far like i asked you the question it's like it's not something where you can be like a is the correct answer right yeah. like it's it's but but and that's sort of like the whole basis of this podcast in a sense where it's like i'm not teaching anyone so i'm not trying to teach anything i'm not my you know there's a lot of podcasts uh, a lot of media you know how to you know become a millionaire you know stockbroker you know well crazy what you know all sorts of stuff and it's like everyone wants like some method to follow and like that that is not at all my purpose in doing this i think like the way like like what i want this to be is like a, a a creative outlet you know for like me and and the guest obviously where we can freely speak our mind um but also you know as as something that's uh you know i think uh what am i trying to say just, just help me out here <laughs> i was like i i this is what so far to wrap up how i've you know, my experience is just really yeah. with talking with you. We like you do a good job of helping, you know, flush out ideas and yeah. really like really dig into maybe stuff you haven't thought about before. Like, right. That's something yeah, yeah, yeah. helpful to I, like talk about things that maybe you haven't talked about or you're, you know, you're not really sure how to package, but put them in maybe also more like. I don't know, understandable way. Like I think, like using it, like like using other mediums, like music, for example, communicates a lot about our culture and our world, and yeah. um, how how you know people are viewing things, and you know maybe in a way that you couldn't communicate just through speech. Right. Right. Or I think it's yeah. Gas versus you know a tweet. Like those are two. They can both hold interesting information, but they're going to be very different, even if you're talking about the same thing. Right, right. right. Yeah, it's it's all the delivery of it. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I agree with a lot of the points you made. Like I, yeah, and, and just about. I mean, I feel like the, the the podcast just being like, I feel like such a learning experience where it's like, you know, there's a difference, like like you may get some learning from like being in a classroom and like having a professor go through a lecture, you know, like a standard format of, you know, practically all colleges and just go through like a set lecture and and just be talking the whole time. But then I think like, you know, so much of our, like we're, we're such a social species where it's like, you know, in like a classroom, like, yeah, maybe you could interject something like, when the professor's talking, but I feel like for the most part, people keep their mouths shut and just let them, you yeah. know, let them deliver the whole lecture. And there's not a, a lot of like social interaction, but it's like when we have these conversations, it's like, you're telling me about things I haven't heard about. I'm probably, you know, hopefully telling you about things you haven't heard about. And we're like kind of piggybacking off of each other's ideas. Um, and I think like, you know, there's, there's something powerful in that. That's like a different, a different medium in terms of like just learning and and I think I honestly I think like a way of growing your intelligence even is just like hearing and and like kind of uh embodying in a sense like other people's ideas where like you like try to like take their perspective and 
it's a lot of stuff that's like not necessarily like the books book smarts that we hear so much about you know but nonetheless is like super important well i don't i don't have anything else to add to that toby <laughs> anything else <laughs> to talk about uh, damn damn i'm good <laughs> no um yeah i mean no that's that's all i wanted to say about that um I feel like there was a there was an I mean with you know going back to to what we we're talking about like about being you know like you know sort of your opinion being like you know like you can choose to be a nice person and accomplish amazing things right like kind of you know maybe going against that view of like you know there there is this you know mean genius sort of thing but yeah. I think also like unpacking that further it's like you look at you know, people like, you know, someone like Steve Jobs, and it's like, he was, you know, he had certain traits that I think enabled, you know, enabled Apple to grow to, to what it became. Like, I feel like, like, I mean, I guess there's a fine line between like being a nice person ver versus like being a pushover. Yeah. And that it's because it's like, if, if Steve Jobs is like, like from my understanding and everything I've watched and read, like he had a very set idea. He he had it in his mind of like what he wanted all this stuff to look like. And whenever someone created something that was like a little bit different, it was like, no, do it better. Do it, do it this way. Do it my way. He like wasn't super open to other people's suggestions, mm -hmm. but that sort of was like enabled him to get his vision across. And I think like, like a lot of us, like, you know, say, say we have a vision of like what we want, you know, our, our employee, you know, employment, uh, you know, our employer, how we want our workplace to look like, but it's like, we're, we're afraid to like voice all of these kind of like, like our ideal, like we, I'm sure we all have these ideas of like, oh, it would be better if this and this and this changed, but it's like, you're not going to say that at the next meeting. Cause there's all of these like you know, um, social punishments that could, you know, you could kind of get mm. left out of the pack. But it's back to your sheep versus wolves. Like, yeah. there's a line, there's a line my dad's like, say, there are sheep and there are wolves. Which one are you? As, as and it's not necessarily like, I would definitely not say one is better than the other, although people want to say, oh, the wolf, but like, there's something very satisfying to just doing your job well in the confines of your job and not being a disruptor and not being someone who messes up the vision. Because, you know, you might not be the person with the right vision. So there's, again, we talk a lot about this fine balance between yeah, these two things. Right. Yeah, I think it's, it's also something like, you know, it's like what what like we would think of like what I would think of like someone else's life is like being shitty. Like they may be living the best life ever. Like, you know, like, like what is the expression? Like one's man, one man's was like one man's garbage is another man's treasure or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, whatever the exact wording of that is, it's like, I was, I was listening to an interview recently. I, I told you about this one that the, the uh, Dan Bilzerian uh, London real interview. So, for those of you who don't know, Dan Bilzerian's like kind of one of the the golden children of like this age of Instagram, where you know Instagram enabled him to basically blow up. You know, he's a poker player, but he kind of gained this huge fan base and following and fame because he was like posting these like 
outlandish, crazy pictures of him partying and with tons of scantily clad girls and like just living like just such a crazy out there life. But then, you know, in it, he was like talking about like, you know, he's like, who am I to say that the person working at nine to five, you know, and they enjoy their work and they enjoy their coworkers and they go home to a, a loving wife and a couple kids like who am I to, you know his his you know what what he said was like who am I to to say that they aren't happier than me even though like we think we see on Instagram him him living like that and we're like if I was had that amount of money if I had that amount of like you know whatever it is you know all those material possessions he has like we think like we would be so happy but would we yeah who knows? Who knows? Again, it's it's an open question, right? Where, like, for you know, one person, you know, it, it may, and other person, it may not. But and then you get about setting yourself up to be happy. Like, you can put yourself in, you know, different. If you're someone who needs lots of social interactions, put yourself in situations where you're going to be social. But if you're someone who's more to reclusive and to yourself, there are things you can do to limit your social like it's all about finding and again this is just if i can just leave you with one thing like it's just find what makes you happy and stick with it and figure out what makes you unhappy and try to work around that try to figure out ways to get around that to you know improve the aspects of your life that you like and minimize the aspects of your life that you don't like mm-hmm. and why not balance it, it, you'll, yeah. you'll, that's fine. <laughs> At least, yeah, I think. Yeah, let's put it that way. Yeah, I think. I think that's an awesome way to kind of wrap things up. And it's like you know the the whole thing of you know maybe the the big problem with a lot of this media and, and AI and uh, I, I guess all this stuff is like we're we're in a lot of ways putting our own happiness in other people's hands. And you know, I think a lot of what's going on now with you know, these revolutions and kind of yoga and meditation and, and all this stuff. It's like, because people are realizing that happiness kind of lies within yourself and, you know, it's all about kind of like doing what, you know, it takes to make yourself happy as cliche as it sounds like, yeah, it's kind of true, right? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, thanks for having me, Toby. Yeah, yeah. man. Absolutely. I, I really enjoyed talking. Yeah. All right, and uh, I don't know if you if you have any, um, if I don't know if if there's anything you want to like share as far as like ways people. If I don't know if you have a website or if, if no, I, wanna... I have no plugs. Yeah. I have no plugs. Okay, okay. Just, just you're not talk. you're not selling anything. You're not. <laughs> buying anything. Okay. Just enjoy life. Okay, good deal. Good deal. All right, Alex. So it was a pleasure. Same. See ya. All right. All right.